This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everybody, and I uh, hope you're well uh, on this wonderful evening. Uh, really, really interesting show tonight. Um, exclusion, is it ever okay? Um, is the topic. Uh, I've got two fantastic guests coming up for you uh, imminently. I thought before doing that, Uh, I'd take the opportunity to say happy Diwali to everybody out there who is celebrating Diwali today. Um, And obviously, I'm going to also run through uh, some of the sponsors for this show in just a moment's time. Um, Obviously, one of our one of our supporters, all of our shows is with the Slack group. Um, I know that Nathan, who is very kindly administrating the space today, will very soon pin uh, a tweet from with a slack group so you can find out more about them uh, but one of the things that with a slack group is is a provider of specialist education and care they're one of the leading providers of that across the country with many many schools uh on offer and and they also have a careers page and on the careers page you can actually find out more about all the jobs and opportunities that are available through with a slack group so as i say they're pinned now to the space so if you want to get involved for example in their virtual neurodiversity conference then you're invited to do so and you can register on the link at the top of the space um the other one that i wanted to mention before we kicked off was darren leslie um and his podcast if you haven't listened to the becoming educated podcast yet then i highly recommend heading over there onto your podcast provider and checking it out um if you want to know the secrets to great teaching in classrooms becoming educated is the podcast for you um you've got interviews with guests where they investigate the hallmarks of great teaching topics ranging from discovering effective study strategies or empowering techniques for every classroom search for becoming educated uh, wherever you get your podcast from there's near nearly 100 episodes there already and there's a new brand new one out that was just out yesterday as well which is well worth checking out so uh without further ado lewis ellis has joined me lewis you just need to click unmute bottom left hopefully with a bit of luck good evening sir how are you good how are you well first of all i want to say thanks very much for giving up the time to come on to this show tonight i'm really excited to talk to you um and i know everybody listening live and listening back will also be very excited lewis just to give a little bit of a um a kind of i'll give you a little introduction and then maybe pass it over to okay. you for a little bit more you can fill in the details and the blanks but essentially lewis is a i'm going to call you a marketing expert certainly we'll call you a marketeer and you have also been a finalist on BBC Apprentice. If you've seen that, then Lewis was a finalist, I think, in 2019. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. And um, and since then, he has set up his own marketing agency called Hustle, which does loads of really interesting things, which we'll kind of probably touch on during the course of this interview. And the reason that I've asked Lewis on specifically is because you were excluded from school, Lewis. Um, before all of, all of this happened. Um, so I thought uh, that will be obviously something we will discuss in the course of this interview, talking about why that happened, what happened, how it happened, and, and your kind of thoughts <laughs> on education in general. But before we do anything else, can you tell me a little bit about the story up to the point when you went on The Apprentice? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, clear my throat. 
Choking. I'm quitting smoking, by the way. Good. So, uh, I, I mean, well, it means I've swapped to a vape. All that means is that I now I'm short of breath. Uh, I get loads of vape juice in my throat, and I eat a lot of chocolate, which is not great. So I'm I'm getting tits, and uh, and I'm still smoking something. So I don't know what the point in this is. Anyway, um, up to the point of uh, pregnancy. Okay, cool. So basically, I am. Um, I mean, that's quite a long thing, right? So I, when I got into pregnancy, I was 29 years old. 29 years. Okay. Um, I was in uh, school, normal, like, uh, high school. So yeah. Hasn't been high, if anyone knows it. Um, I was all right. I was just, like, a, I was a student that sort of skated by. Like, I didn't really try, but I seemed to get good grades, and it seemed to piss off all the teachers. You know, <laughs> like, they'd expect me to fail, and then I'd just smash an exam without paying attention. So um, I was all right at school, and then I went to college. I sort of, sort of started losing my way a little bit. Um, didn't really find anything interesting or exciting. Um, I ended up getting kicked out of three colleges, actually. So I kicked out of uh, sixth form first um, because we did psychology, and, I mean, that was, wasn't for me. Uh, they went to do a sports uh, uh, B-Tech at a college in Bury. Uh, they kicked me out because apparently turning up drunk to run athletics on the old weather pitch uh, isn't the smartest move. So, yeah, I didn't get, I didn't get through there. And then I went to Burnley before I just dropped. I dropped out of that like two months in. And that was it. I was on my way to uh, becoming a bum. Um, and I guess, yeah, offering myself out in the park for 20 pence. So, so, what, so like, let's just rewind slightly up to like 16 you, yeah. you said like you, i mean what were you like at school were you good yeah. at, were, were you what were you like were you this like larger than life character that people who saw the apprentice or watched you know seeing seeing you in that capacity might think you are or were you more like shy were you as confident then as you are now no i was, I was um i was relatively um i was i was a loud personality but i wasn't i wasn't confident or anything i was actually you know i i, I did latin and ballroom dancing i was an old boys choir um, well said. I was in scouts. I got all my badges. I was basically quite well yeah. behaved. Um, I used to like do all. I don't know. I just like to do lots of different activities and hobbies and learning and things like that. Um, and then in the evenings, me and my friends we were like we weren't bad lads. We just used to like sort of wreak havoc in the area. We weren't chavs. We used to hate chavs. Chavs used to chase us around, and try and beat us up. I'd say I was more of a skater. I used to hang around skate parks. Oh, and try, skater boy. Try and yeah, like listen to Green Day uh, back in the day in Good Charlotte and stuff like that. So. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I guess I didn't really fit anywhere. But um, yeah, yeah. So I, I wasn't. The, the main thing is like I wasn't um, particularly bad or anything. Um, and in school, although I was, um, I was. I would say I was quite loud and disrupt, disruptive. <laughs> there you go. Uh, quite disruptive and uh, and distracting. I imagine quite a lot of the time. But I wasn't. Um, I wasn't what you call like a, a bad kid or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously you said that you went to college. Now, the reason I'm asking you all these questions about your yeah. school experience is I kind of want to get on to like, I was going to ask, because you're a very creative person and your kind of like endeavours since then seem to have all, you know, even when I chatted to you the other week, because I met Lewis at a, like a networking <laughs> event the other week and we very briefly talked about some of the stuff you've done and it's all very kind of like outside the box, really creative. I wonder whether, like, your school, like, your education, I won't even say school, I'll just say, like, education experience. Do you think that it in any way helped you to uh, along that path, or do you think it was, like, just no, was so, totally disconnected from that? It was a polar opposite. It was actually very restricting. Um, I literally, if, if I'd listened to what I was being told in school, I honestly wouldn't have gone on to do anything that I found interesting in life. Um, 
it was only when I reached out <clears throat> to, I'm sorry, I'll fast forward a few, I'll go back to this yeah. later on, but um, I basically started reaching out to entrepreneurs myself because I wasn't fitting in anywhere. Um, <clears throat> and I'd write letters and emails. Um, and I, that carried on until I was a little bit older, even through into university as well. So I used to seek advice from people that I respected. Um, not to say I didn't respect teachers, but yeah. I just didn't, I just didn't think they got me and I was, so the word excluded, you said it right at the beginning. I mean, excluded means a lot. I mean, it doesn't mean a lot of different things, but usually seen as like a big red thing, like uh, it's really, really bad. But I mean, I was more ostracized and excluded. I was more just like, um, teachers used to just dislike me. I could tell that straight away. Anyway, so I didn't. But why, why like, is that though? Why, why oh, did you, you not, think that? What, 100% because that's not the way it was done back then. Like literally, I, I'm, I'm only 32, right? But even I remember yeah. that create like, I don't know. We only, I think we had an entrepreneur program. It was a piss take. No one really cared about it. I think what we did was made CDs and sold them in the school. And that, I tried to get involved in that. And I just thought, this is ridiculous. This isn't what it, this isn't creative. This is just trying to make some extra yeah. money for the, for the yeah. teachers. Uh, I don't know. I imagine the staff party. But, um, <laughs> but, but it wasn't taken seriously. Like even when I was in school at 16, uh, well, even younger than that, 14, 13, 14. And also the fact that I, I'm from quite a poor, a poor family. Mum, mum was me two sisters and a brother. And she also adopted my two cousins because my uncle uh, medically wasn't able to look after them. So we had seven, seven of us in a house on a, on a single parent's uh, wage. And she wasn't, she's not particularly skilled either or qualified. So the, the, the money was very low. So I've never been around these circles. So when I was at school, there was no sort of push towards you can make money, you can do this. It's more about um, get good grades and get a job. And then I was seeing lots of, reading lots of books and, and, and listening to people speak and that didn't quite compute. And then my family, obviously them circles and my extended family, no one, uh, was available to sort of lean on and learn from in that respect in terms of, you know, going on to start a business and whatnot. So I just sort of felt like a loner. That makes sense. My entire yeah, no, school. totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, that's an interesting point you made about school not having any, any avenue for your sort of entrepreneurship, business mind, all that kind of stuff. I mean, was business studies available? Was there to, anything you know like that? To, to, to be honest, uh, um, it wasn't even, back then, it didn't even... I don't know if you, obviously there's a lot of teachers here, right? I don't know if you recognize and you see someone, but now you know what ADHD is, right? Now you know when someone's um, just learns differently, doesn't learn from textbooks, learns visually. Yeah. I was a visual learner. I like to do things and I would get very creative. For example, when I was in school, I was arrested in year, uh, year 10, sorry. Uh, about, I don't know what age I was. I think it was like 13. Yeah. I was arrested because I planned a heist. So what I did was I'd found these keys to a dumper truck the internet had just been uh, more or less coming online at school. We had IT classes. So whilst I was in IT, I, I went online. I found out how to drive this dumper truck. I got all, this ki all the kids in school. I got about 20 of them. Gave them all walkie-talkies. Drew a map. Put them all on the street corners and said, right, I'm going to drive it from point A to point B. We're going to heist this dumper truck. We're going to take it to the quarry, and we're going to play on it. Um, <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Everyone's like, yeah, because obviously it's a small town. No one... There's no one, there's no one around to, uh, there's nothing else to do, right? So everyone's in on this plan. Um, so I, I learned how to drive it, you know, I, was, I practiced for like an hour and then the, on the day before and then on the day, jumped on it, set up driving, all the kids were in position, they're all talking on the walkie-talkies and literally as soon as I pulled out onto the main road, a police car just happened to be going past and immediately pulled over the 12, 13-year-old boy that was driving a uh, JC. Oh my the God. And anyway, I got arrested, and it was around the time that Niz Loppy song came out. It was like, um, yeah, that, the JCB remember it? song. Yeah, the JCB song. I love song. that song. Well, that was I my love... theme tune, apparently. Um, but oh, the, what I was going to say was, but what was the point? What was the point of that though? Is that just well, this, like this, have a laugh? This, this, no, this is my point of the story. So you would look at that and go, 
Jesus, he's a bad kid. I mean, when my mum came to get me, she was uh, she was really shocked. She was like, I can't believe you stole a motor, uh, uh, a dumper truck. Everyone <laughs> in school, they put me, in, you know, they put they pulled me to the side, like, and started looking back as a problem child. But really, all you do is look at him and go, "That was very clever, wasn't it? That was quite creative." Like for twelve years old, I mean, even now I look at twelve years old to 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 learn how to drive it, plan it, draw a map, oh, get all the students involved, plan, like, and obviously. It was it was just me being mischievous that um, and then it went from there. But it was actually being really creative. But the point I'm trying to get across is that's how um, that's how my creativity would um, you know exude. That's the things that's the the things I would get up to. It would all just be cheeky and mischievous. Um, yeah. Because I didn't I didn't know business was a thing. I had no way yeah. to harness it. I hadn't learned any skills. So really, all I was doing was just, well, what if we do this and do that and do this and and I took all these ideas and uh, you know and 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 that would you look at that and think that's quite bad but actually if you if you if you asked me about then i'd be like well what you you learned how to drive a, a heavy piece of machinery you got all the kids in school you gave them walkie talkies you planned this route i just thought back then that's adhd right all day long and it still is now affecting me but it's so with, with that really... let's let's just go back to the adhd thing was that something is that something you've been diagnosed with is that something that you think you are adhd is that something that you have to have to manage now i mean where, where does that come into the story sort of thing uh well back then it wasn't a thing right so it never really got yeah. diagnosed so i say i'm adhd i could just be a weirdo but um i've read and spoken to people and i've read uh it's kind of i basically hit every single symptom literally every single one of them yeah um yeah. And, I, and i now know that that i have it but i don't think going to the doctor would be what's the point like i don't struggle i don't need to have medication i just know that that would explain yeah. a lot of the things that i did in school that were perceived as naughty or distracting when actually it was just i had no outlet for my for the things i wanted to do and i, and I had all this energy another example would be um oh but interesting though that, yeah sorry go on i'll let you finish your story because i want to ask no, you something else go on i was gonna say i've got all these really weird stories that when i talk, when I talk about them i'm like jesus i was so weird okay so i came up with this plan in school where i found these smoke bombs at the, the shop and you basically you light them i don't know if anyone's seen them they sort of smolder and as they smolder they start to smoke so what we would do every evening is we would go around and put them on the uh, on the front of the cars inside the grill, and we'd like let them smolder, let the smoke go out, knock on the door, and tell the people that the car's on fire, and watch their reaction as they tried to put the car out. And we used to think it was hilarious. Um, and then we tried it on the bus on the way home from school. Um, and what happened was it filled the bus very quickly with smoke. And what happened? And so the driver goes mental and says, "We're going back to school." He's freaking out, thinking we've started a fire. We're all laughing our asses off because we think it's hilarious because obviously there's no fire; it's harmless prank. Um, the kids at the back of the bus think there's actually a fire, so they open the fire exit. And, and what you would have seen at that moment, at that moment, if you'd been walking past, was uh, two or three kids jumping out of the back of a moving bus, smoke billowing out both sides of this bus, and the driver screaming at the kids in the back. It, oh it was an absolute picture. But that's the sort of things that is just mayhem and mischief. Um, yeah. But you, so, you, is, you, so is, do you think there's anything school or college could have done differently? to channel your you know your your kind of way of thinking or your way of acting well this your... is the, the thing now is you guys do right you do recognize when someone's a different learner you do recognize when someone's a bit different you do recognize yeah. when someone's you know if they're naughty it's not just because they're naughty there might be a reason behind it or you know i don't know i just feel like there's a lot more now in terms of understanding yes. but back then you were just I say I say I wasn't a bad kid, but I was I probably was yeah. seen by a lot of teachers as naughty kid. I was probably hated by a lot of teachers as well, I imagine, because I used to be really annoying in class. 
Which is even weirder, because when they did the apprentice thing, they actually went back to school and asked the teacher. That kicks me out of form, by the way. Really? Wouldn't let me come back for like uh, two years. Um, I had like a breakdown and started screaming, shouting and crying at me. Uh, I didn't even do anything that day, by the way. Um, And they put her on TV and then she was talking about how like she was really nice about me. And I was like, nah, what? I was so confused. Um, So I think you look back with rose-tinted glasses, don't you, really? Um, But when I think about it... um, yeah, I just feel like there wasn't any. I don't. I don't know if you guys are like. I'm it's 32. T- how old everyone here is? But do you remember what school was like? I just. Feel oh like yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm. There was fuck all for us. So I I completely empathise with with a lot of what you're saying. Um, it was very apart different. From like, apart from like the drive in the JCB when I was 12, I didn't do that. <laughs> but but the like in terms of sort of like your college bit. So when you went at 16, you said you got like kicked out and stuff, and. Well, I suppose excluded, basically, like at, at Ferris or, or kicked out. But it's slightly different in post-16, but you get my point. Yeah. Like, what happened there then? What was the story there? Uh, so so with the um, so the sixth form, so obviously at that point you don't have to stay in school. Um, and they don't, they, you know, they don't care if you quit. <laughs> so it's up to you to sort of study. Um, I think the sixth form, I think what happened was um, we'd actually had a new sixth form added to the school, right? So... It was very unorganized uh, as we went into into the, the second year of it being open. Um, we had a lot of lecturers quitting and dropping out yeah. and things like that. So not, basically what happens, our entire year failed, right? The whole year. All of us got used. Oh, these, my goodness. Um, really, really, really big shit show. Um, and I think at that point, um, I'd asked to come back and do my... Was I was AS and then A level, so I was hoping to do my A levels, but I failed basically all my AS. I'd start the AS again, but they they basically said um, we don't want you back. So that was that was fun. Um, we don't think it's for you, sort of thing. Um, and I was studying things like psychology. I did. I, I really enjoyed English back then. I got really I got really high grades in English, so I was trying to do like English psychology. Um, I can't remember what else I was trying to do. Um, something IT related uh, and sports. They were the sort of things I was doing. I think that's how you do A levels. I can't remember. Um, anyway, so we, we kind of got told, I think a lot of that year got told that we wasn't really for us, but it wasn't because we were idiots. It's because they sort of really messed up the opening of that sixth form, um, from what I remember. And then from there, I went on to Bury College. Now, at this point, I was 15, 16. Yeah, so I'd started working in a nightclub at 15 years old because um, I wanted to make some money. So I was working at a nightclub on the weekends, and then um, I picked up extra shifts in the week when I wasn't at college. Um, yeah. So I would I would basically finish work at the nightclub at six in the morning, go out and get drunk, and then I'd have college the next day. So I'd go into college, obviously, still drunk from the night before, uh, 16, 17 years old. So I must have looked like an alcoholic at like 17, 16, 17. But it wasn't that. I just worked, I just worked in a nightclub. Um, yeah. So then I was in a sports course, BTEC Sports. I thought it'd be great. I thought this is for me. I like I like sports. Um, I very quickly learned that it was, it was quite boring, quite technical, quite scientific. Um, wasn't for me again, so I cared even less, uh, and I went out a lot more, went to a lot of house parties, and so, yeah, I kind of spent the, the age 16, 17, 18, sort of finding myself as an adult, I guess, going to parties, finding finding, uh, finding friends, you know, going out all the time, girls, that sort of stuff, you know. To, yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, I'm just trying to kind of, because we're going to move on in the kind of second half of this. I've got um, Andrew Old coming on, we're going to talk about the idea of, of kind of exclusion and, and the data behind it and the stats behind it and if it's ever okay and so on. But I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective, because really, I mean, you could tell us a little bit now about 
since the since school so i mean i was going to ask you obviously first of all about how you ended up on the apprentice mm. I, I was interested in the process of you getting on the apprentice because i'm presuming that is quite difficult to get on yeah. the apprentice in the first well, place i mean what did you have to do to get on it for anyone that's interested in applying um you basically sell yourself to the devil um <laughs> before you do that no you have to you apply you fill in a really big application form uh, and you sort of have to justify why you think you should go on this show. Um, so at this point, it's kind of questions of, you know, what have you been doing? What, what, what qualifications have you got? What's your work experience like? Do you work for yourself? Have you been working for yourself, et cetera? Um, and then from there, if you get through that first stage, you'll go to uh, like a hotel in Manchester or maybe even London if you're down there. Uh, and you have multiple stages of an interview uh, all in one day. So it kind of starts in Manchester where, where I was held. It started on the ground floor. The first interview round... Uh, was I think you get seven no ten seconds to to sell yourself um, and and I, at that point they went who wants to go first so I just jumped out of line and was like hey I'll go first so I kind of stood out in that round because I went first and just yeah. absolutely rambled bollocks for ten seconds <laughs> um, I even said I'm actually rambling bollocks right now so um, <laughs> from there it's like you move through the floors each level of the hotel that we went to had a, a different sort of theme somewhere sit down interviews, some of the group activities, etc. Uh, if you get through that, then you go to London and then you go to a big group interview. So all the best, the best from all the ones around the UK come together. Um, if you get through that, then you have, um, what do you have to do? Like psychology tests. Like, yeah, you get tested to make sure you're not absolutely mental before you go on the show. Um, and yeah. then last sort of uh, phase is you sort of have a phone call uh, go through business plan etc and yeah then you're on the show so it's and quite extensive and it's like a good two two three month process if i remember rightly um yeah for two me, to I, three I, months, yeah i think for me i was just uh, i was walking out of the gym one day and i just saw an email i must have signed up for a notification at some point um and it's like you know the apprentice is now casting i was like yeah i was like, i've been working myself a while i've got you know a couple of degrees in business i've been freelancing for a couple of years i've worked my way up in marketing i was like maybe i maybe now is the time to see if i could start a business and that was at yeah. 20 28 years old and that was yeah 28 and then i went on the show over my 29th and it was out in the winter after that yeah yeah crazy yeah and then obviously you did quite well didn't you you got through to the final was it five? Oh yeah yeah i was uh last man standing so yeah there was I think 16 people on my year. Um, and obviously you go in there, you don't, you don't know how long you're going to be in there for. So you're essentially packing for an, an, a, an unknown amount of time. Um, and you imagine how shit it'd be if you get there and you're the first one out. So like you go say goodbye to everyone, give your job a break or whatever, leave your job, get there and get fired straight away. Um, but somehow by pure miracle and chance, I managed to blag my way all the way to the end. Um, and literally by, by miracle and by chance, if you actually watched our series. Well, I've watched a few episodes, Lewis, since um, inviting you onto this. And, and I don't think it was just by chance. I think you're undercooking yourself a little bit there. I think you've got a lot of different skills. And that's why I was interested with this kind of... Because if you, I guess if you look at your education story on paper, it, it looks quite... Well, you've said it yourself. You, you presumably didn't feel like it, was, it kind of worked for you or it was good for you you know that you got something out of it it sounds to me like you did you managed to find your own path basically and it, it well, this, you know that was that this sort is of it. thing left high school didn't know what i wanted to do had no idea what what was open to me went to college 
no no real support, no real um, help understanding the world around me as I'm going to adulthood. And it was only when I went, uh, again, I reached out to a lot of entrepreneurs. And when I was working abroad, there's a gap to where, where I went to work abroad, by the way. I was in a ski resort and I was around all these very wealthy businessmen. Um, they all rock up in the resort with these four by four Maseratis or whatever the hell they were. And I was like, who are those guys? I'm going to make friends with them. Um, and I did. I literally followed them around like like a lost puppy for their entire duration. These guys must have paid like, you know, 10 grand a person per week to go on holiday. And all they got was this 21-year-old lad from Manchester chasing around the slopes, asking them questions about business. Um, yeah. And the, 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 actual, um, the actual thought between them all, kind of like the common thought was, I shouldn't be a holiday rep, obviously. I'm not going to get rich doing that. And they said, come home. Um, and if you, if I wanted to be a business person, you know, go and study business, find out about business, you know, go maybe even actually study at university. So I kind of came back, did a foundation degree, then I did a degree in business. Um, then I found marketing, then I did a master's degree in marketing. So actually, eventually, I went quite high in terms of academic um, study. Do you know what I mean? I actually went much further than most people go, and I'm, I'm hoping to do a PhD when I get a bit more free time. So it wasn't that it wasn't academic and it wasn't that I couldn't study. It's just that I hadn't no. found what was right for me. Um, I suppose my question is what, what this kind of going back to what I said before, if you were looking back now at your sort of school, college, you know, kind of the, the kind of 11 to 21 sort of age mm. range, what subjects or what sort of teaching or what sort of learning or what sort of experience would have, do you think would have, helped you or been more suitable for you you know what would you change about it if you could go back now sort of thing um to be honest we did a lot of, again if you guys remember we did a lot of textbook studying right the, the the internet was pretty crap back then so we like uh books um sitting there sitting in nice straight rows listening to someone yap at you i would fall asleep quite a lot of the time not fall asleep but like i would completely zone out like i couldn't listen if you paid me um but then you know, when I was at university, a lot of that is group work, coursework, studies, investigations, whatever. Um, so you're, you're moving around, you're talking, you're learning. You're, you, and so I learn by doing. I learn by getting involved. I do not learn by someone standing there talking to me. If you stand there and talk to me, if you give me a book, I'll give you an example. I'm trying to learn to fly a plane at the moment, right? Um, yeah. I, can fly, I can fly the damn thing perfectly. I, I, they can't let me fly it on my own until, I'm bad, I'm halfway through, so. You're supposed to, at this point, have done some exams. I've got this book on the table right next to me. I've had that book there for six months. I've read it, cover to cover, two, three times. Can't remember a fucking thing that's in it. Could not tell you what the front We apologise for language. Lewis, stop swearing. Sorry. We'll have to Sorry. call these out. That's fine. Um, I couldn't <laughs> tell you what is in that book, right? But I could I could go in the plane, I could take off, and I could land, and we wouldn't die. So I can do by, you know, I can learn by doing, but, but physically yeah. sitting there and being talked at or reading in a book, it's just, I'm never going to learn. So... But that's me. Some of my friends are perfect with that, right? They, they were really well. Good. No, I think I think there's a lot. There, there would be, you know, there would be an argument to say, and I'm sure we'll come on to this later on, in general on the show. Is that there is an argument that many students end up getting excluded or getting, you know, maybe not quite excluded, but certainly along those lines, for not engaging with, um, how can I put this correctly with there would be those who would say the the way in which teaching and learning is is too narrow. There, there are those who would argue, and that leads then to many people becoming many students becoming disenfranchised or disengaged or or kind of um, yeah, just and then going down that that route in in terms of kind of poor behaviour or 
you know, whatever. And there would be many who would argue that. There would be others who would argue that, that you know, the routes that are set down are, are almost like the right routes and therefore we need to kind of like support students to, to do to do it as it is sort of thing and not not maybe completely radically adapt what's done. You know, there's two lines of thinking really on that in terms of um, how schools approach students, I guess, like you, Lewis, who, who are incredibly talented, gifted, but don't want to sort of go down that off that that regular route you know you think about apprenticeships and stuff like that and you know and being able to diversify what students are able to do at school um that has happened a lot but there, there are there is there are many you would still argue that it's too narrow it's still too narrow i i have to admit though right I and a lot of you guys probably hate this, but you know, if you look at when schools were brought about, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about this on social media not long ago. Um, when when the sort of idea of a school was created, what what were people doing back then, right? Was what were the jobs people were were involved in? They weren't creative. They were all, you know, a lot of them are structured, manual, blue collar, that sort of stuff. And and it makes sense. We sit in rows. We talk. We spoke. You know, we put a hand up to speak. We go toilet when we're allowed. All that sort of stuff. It makes sense. I, I don't want to go to a college or a, a school where it's all, you know, drama. I used to hate drama. I'm a creative person, but I used to, I used to feel like such a prat. Um, that wasn't a swear word, see? Yeah, um, that's amazing, Lewis. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault. I swear. <laughs> word, I'm yeah. I bring uh, this no, out of a lot of people, Lewis, so don't worry. But you know what I mean? like in, in, uh, that's a creative lesson, and it was dancing around and tam- banging a tambourine. I don't know what the hell we did in there, but it was very, very hippie. But that I did, I, I used to feel idi- an idiot in there. But you would think I'd like it because it's doing, but it's not. It was just like it used to make me cringe. So I don't want to. I'm not saying like the schools need to completely change, but I do think that that we're working our we're working our way forward. When really we should look at the environment we're in now, the types of jobs people do, and go right. If you were going to create a school right now, if you were going to put together lessons and you were going to take students for these jobs that exist right now, you probably wouldn't sit them down in the classroom and talk to them. You probably wouldn't put them in in chairs and give them textbooks. Like it's very, very different. Um, and I feel like the universities, I mean, they get a lot more money, don't get me wrong, but the universities yeah. are changing faster and evolving, um, which is then a culture shock. If you're a student at school, you go to a high, high school and then you go into college and university, it's complete, you know, it's very hard to adjust because it's very different in the way in which they approach things. Um, but I just think right now, the way in which, I mean, I went to a state school, pretty rough, horrible kids. Um, it, I mean, it wasn't really bad. It was just in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, but, but that was very, very traditional. I mean, it's been a long time. I do go into them and talk to the students sometimes at colleges and that, but I've not been yeah. in high school in ages. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting to hear because like I say, there'll be a lot of students who, who are sort of like you, who, um, and, and I mean, I was going to ask you, why did you misbehave? Was it, did you misbehave sometimes for a laugh? Because, I, I, or, I think or was it just because you wanted to have a laugh? No, I think it was more, um, I had all this energy and I didn't know what to do with it. So that's part of it. And the other thing is, if you tell me not to do something, I'm probably going to do it. Like, not in a bad way. I just, I just really like to push, push boundaries. I really like to push buttons. And see yeah, what it's sort of a, rebel- a, a rebellious, thing, like a teenage rebellion sort of. Well, it's not thing. gone away though. I thought it would go. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't. I think it I'm hasn't. just an anarchist now. I just like to watch things burn. No, I'm joking. Well, tell us about. Like... I mean, the you do some really interesting stuff now. Maybe tell us because I know you told me when I met you in person is 
one of the stories about your phone. That's quite a good story, that one. Tell us about oh, that one. When I tell you about my phone, I've forgotten, sorry. You tell me about the one where you, um, was it your phone where it oh, was stolen? Oh, it was stolen? AirPods. Oh, AirPods. Sorry, the yeah. AirPods. Uh, yeah, no, for, for those of you, I don't know. So the, if you, right, for example, if you take that on face value, which was the whole point, by the way, you would go, yeah. he spent the £3,000 going chasing. Basically, what happened was, someone stole my AirPods, okay? I was flying back from Thailand in Doha to layover. I put them on the chair in front in, in the pocket, um, and it was a layover flight, so I had to get off the plane while they, re- they cleaned it, and we get back on the plane and go to Manchester. Same plane. I got off and I was like, oh no, I've left my AirPods. I got a notification on my phone. So I go back to the door and I say, hey, can I come back on the plane? My AirPods are just in the seat. No, you can't come back on. They were like, but if it was your wallet, by the way, or your passport, you can. But because it's not um, going to interfere onward travel, you can't. I was like, well, this is a stupid rule. And they were like, don't worry, we'll bring them to you. Go and stand at this desk, which was a nightmare to find. And I did. Anyway, long story short, they never arrived. I stood there for four hours uh, like a lemon, got back on the plane. They were gone. Um, obviously, the cleaning crew had come on in between. Someone's found them and pocketed them. And they were in the pockets, so like they must have gone through all the pockets to clean. Anyway, I forgot about them. And then, I think two months later, I got a, like a notification. My AirPods had moved, and I was looking. And I could see uh, that they were, they'd left Doha, and they were in, um, what the hell was it? in the Himalayan mountains in Nepal. Right. So mm. I'm like, whoa, they've been sold. Uh, but I was like, how interesting. I can follow this person in this <laughs> village in Nepal and just sort of watch them for the rest of my life because my AirPods were stuck to my phone. Um, and I sort of just did that like a weird creep. Um, just <laughs> watching, watching what they were getting up to, where they went on their adventures. Um, and then they uh, they flew back to Doha. So I made a few jokes before. Before they came back, and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I went to Nepal? So we're going to get them back. Should I go and get them back? Like, is Nepal dangerous? Am I going to die? Who knows? Um, and then and then, I, and then, they actually flew back to Doha, and I realized that they were going to and from the airport regularly. I was like, it's someone that works yeah. at the airport. They must have been home for a holiday, and now they're back. So I ringed my friend, and I said, look, we're going to go get them back. And I literally flew out there, and we tracked the, the, the person down using Find My uh, AirPods on my phone. You can watch it on my YouTube or on my uh, uh, TikTok. It's there, the full sort of video, like yeah. 10 minutes. But it's very interesting that you can track them. So the whole point of that was, okay, I'm making uh, adverts now quite a lot. We're doing marketing. So wouldn't it be interesting if I turn this opportunity into a piece of marketing content? Let's do a piece for Apple and say, okay, if you buy an Apple product, you get Apple AirPods, you can track them. And this is how strong it is. You can track them around the world. And so we just did, we did just that. And I turned it into like a, a little mini um, campaign showcasing how a bit of creativity in in your marketing approach can, can really generate buzz and we, we hit every headline in every newspaper in every country around the world um you know it went viral viral it's had a million views on like on my tiktok like a million views like five six million views and everyone else's um, yeah and youtube yeah. hundred thousand so it just went viral viral it hit every newspaper um and it generated me business you know it brought me clients yeah which is what the whole point of the whole thing was like okay i spend three grand but i might make 10 grand um, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because that whole, pro- yeah, I mean, it's, just, you know, you kind of on face value, you're like, oh, that's hilarious. That's a silly stunt. But then obviously there's a serious side to it, too, which is generating business for your you know, but, marketing but, agency but, or whatever. It's the clever um, part of marketing, isn't it, right? I'm, I'm trying to appeal to the eccentric, clever businessman who likes to get weird and wonderful with his marketing or his business. Um, it gets their attention. Um, and yeah, for the person that's everyday average, Joe and Sally, they'll just be like, oh, what a moron. Who the hell spends that much money? And it's like, but it's not for you, mate. You won't get it. So don't, 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 don't worry yourself. Um, and and but that was it. Like it did generate us business. It acts as a bit of like a a good thing for our portfolio. 
Uh, and that's that, that was my idea. I was going to do something called, I call it badvertising, creating content yeah. for advertising purposes uh, in a unique and creative way. Badvertising. I know a budget. Yeah, I mean, that, that I think it's, you know, I've heard about oh, you smashing up your cars as well and, and buying a car to smash up and creating almost scenes that people will, you know, and, and I think I can't remember your phrase that you used when it came to marketing, but like outside the box marketing sort of thing, um, kind of shock and awe marketing, you know. Well, that was a, that, so that was a networking event and that car I got was actually due to be scrapped a few days later, but I gave it one last lease of life and used it in, in a rage room. I built a rage room. I didn't tell anyone, I didn't tell anyone what was there. I basically, I do these events, I keep them secret, I, uh, you buy a ticket, and then on the day, you get a text with a password and a location, and when you go there, there's always something unique happening. By the way, if anyone's was interested, yeah. the next one's on Friday in Manchester. Um, I can't tell you where it is, but you can find out more about it on LinkedIn. It's going to yeah, be awesome. Yeah, it, it's just, I mean, it's all really, really interesting. And I think, again, um, you're a very creative person. I suppose my question, is that it's not a question to you, actually. It's just a general question, is like, creative people like you who go on to be extremely successful people after school it could maybe be successful in school um you know and 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 that that would be my question is is there a is there a have we evolved you know is there now a space for people who are more creative to to excel i think there is in many schools perhaps others not i don't know you know and this is more me thinking out loud in terms of the your journey towards being an apprentice finalist, setting up mm. you know, award-winning marketing agencies, but yet left school. You know, you said that your form, I can't remember what you said, but you're, you're you know, exactly. you attend form for two years or something or whatever. Um, yeah. So like, I'm I guessing, was always, I'm guessing detention. your behavior was, I'm, I'm guessing your behavior was probably, I mean, you, you probably know yourself, Oh, I was naughty or whatever, or I didn't do, you know, what they wanted me to do. But I suppose you're saying there's, there were reasons behind that. Is I suppose no, no, like so. So I did the work, I got the grades, but I didn't have to pay attention to do that. I used to find it quite easy. I used to hate maths, by the way, and so uh, is it Andrew? I do apologise. I really was, <laughs> really was bad at maths, but that again was fat. that's very statistical, analytical, and written down in a book, and I struggled with that. Uh, but apart from that, everything else, I, I was really he won't you know, mind. Quite, he he won't I mind. Quite, I was quite alright at it. Um, and but the point is, right? I wasn't the person that fit in at school, right? So I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't get on in class. I was kicked out of class all the time. I wasn't naughty. I got the grades. Uh, I was just mischievous and cheeky and noisy. Uh, and it's because I couldn't concentrate because I wasn't engaged. Basically, I wasn't engaged, right? We know that. You can figure it out. You can see that now. Yeah. However, I then typically shouldn't have been able to carry on and and be academic and get all the other degrees that everyone else gets, right? But I did. Yeah, all the ones that sat in their rows, a lot of them didn't go to university. If they, they did, they didn't really go past university and do any postgrad or anything like that. So why do I fit in further down the line, but I don't fit in at school? Now, that's my point before, where is it because schools haven't evolved to that point yet? Is it because they're still st quite a lot of them are quite traditional in their approach? Is it because it, it's more restricted for you guys to make changes because it's very top down? I mean, let's look at it this way, right? I, I understand that a lot of the universities have free reign um, because they're, you know, their, their own businesses, their own establishments. But a lot of the public yeah. schools are funded by the government, a government which is very, very out of touch with, the, the for example, me, the, the kid that's skinned from Haslingdon that no one gave a toss, uh, uh, no one cared about. <laughs> um, sorry, I tried not to swear. <laughs> nearly, um, nearly did it. But, the, yeah. but, the, but the point is, like, is it because you guys don't have any power to make any real changes in those situations? Is it because... I, I don't know. That's my, that's just... As I get older, that's my viewpoint. It's still like, oh, it's really interesting. Because, it's because really, teachers... 
I was going to say, yeah. you guys are un- you're underpaid. You, you generally don't have the, uh, more or less all the equipment and, t- and things that you need, the assets, the, the budget. You just don't get it. And you've got to try and make do. And every year that gets cut and cut. If you're in a public school, that is. Private schools, they're living a life. Um, I heard one yeah. of them play. They played something called um, Bandy the other day because I learned about that hockey game they play in posh schools. I did, we never had that. We had uh, all-weather football and we all just got absolutely um, wet through. But But the point is, is it is that why? Is it because there's more money for the line, or is it because the government doesn't doesn't have an understanding of what kids need and what the education is? Because they're all rich kids from Eton, like. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the there is certainly what what you've said. There is much sort of there are many people who would support what you're saying in terms of um, the way in which schools are set up for learners. Not all schools, but there is a there is certainly that that almost. You know, there are those who will say, look, schools are still set up. Mm. Everyone sat in rows, everyone facing the front, teacher talks, do a task, teacher talks. And it's still set up that way. But there are many people who would say that that's the way that works the best, that yeah. that actually children being instructed in that way is um, where they will learn best or where they will learn the quickest and where they will, you know. So there are many, there's, there's arguments on both sides of this, but I just, the reason I asked you on is I find mm. it really interesting to listen to someone who is probably, you know, there are, there are many, many students like you who go through school, who, who feel disenfranchised, disengaged, like it's just not for them. And maybe mm. even some of them are told it's not for them rarely, but you know, it can happen. And it's interesting just to hear that perspective, especially when we're talking about something like um, students being uh, excluded or, or even if it's suspended, you know, whatever. Um, students not being able to access education. Um, uh, it, the, the, there, are, there are different sides to every sort hmm. of coin, if you like. And it's, that, that's why I was interested to hear your sort of take on that i mean one thing i will say you said like you you would like group work i mean for me as a teacher i had to i you know thinking about my classrooms it is in my opinion it's much harder for a teacher to control group work if that Mm. makes sense lewis so if like if i had you in a group i'd be like my god he's just he's just gonna like talk through the whole session do you know what i mean with the other people in the group so i suppose my question to you would be if 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 you know, is that a bad thing though? Like, I don't know. Like, maybe that's just. I have, I have this, I have this theory. I mean, obviously, by the way, I've not made it yet. I'm by no means a millionaire or anything, right? I've done a lot of things, but I've not quite got where I want to be yet. Um, however, I've got this theory that if this isn't just in schools, by the way, and also when I talk about schools, I'm talking about what I saw 15 years ago. I'm not talking about what it is now. I have no idea what it's like now. But um, I will say, like, when when someone, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, like. So let's talk about uh, Richard Branson or Elon Musk, right? I know it's quite big examples, but these guys will go around saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm this type of person, right? And nine times out of ten, they get called idiots, right? This, you're an idiot. You can't. It's mental. What you talk about is mm. not right. It's not the right way of doing things. That's not how we do things. We do things this way, right? That's yeah. fine. That's what happens. I get it a lot. And then one day when they make it and they just forge a completely new path, you know, everyone goes, oh, they're, they're not idiots. They're eccentric. They're creative. And you sort of get praised for that creativity, but you get told that you're wrong all this way through. And I've 
I've pretty much gone through the same path. I got told that the way I act is wrong, the way I talk is wrong. not just in schools, by the way, just like in careers, in business, yeah. uh, in in the boardroom. You know, I've been fired from jobs because I refuse to stop sending koala bear facts every morning at nine in the morning because I was making a, what I thought was a statement. But it turns out there's a lot of koala bear facts out there. But the point is, like, you is you are if you're going to be different, you're going to think different, act different, and be different. You have to be willing to deal with that. But it's the ones, it's the kids that don't know that they're destined to do those things and, and, and be those people, right? And, and they don't know anything about who they're going to be. They're just figuring themselves out. If you tell them they're a bad kid, you tell them they're bad, you're not right, this isn't how you do things. You know, I'm not surprised that they're coming through with, like, anxiety and stress and depression, all these fancy words that everyone uses now. Like, I, I, I'm not surprised because they're trying to figure themselves out. They're trying to learn their path. And they're getting told that what they're doing is wrong before they're even ready to face the world. So... You know, the one place where you shouldn't be told that you're bad and naughty and wrong is when you're in school, because that's the only place you're supposed to be bloody protected. Because once you leave school, you are on your own. Uh, and I felt that whilst I was in school, I didn't have any of that. I just didn't I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And imagine that, right? I didn't feel like I fit in at school. Didn't feel like I fit in in my family. Didn't feel like I fit in when I was at work in Tesco. You know, I just didn't have a place. And eventually what happened was when I got to 18 years old, I ran away, right? Basically, I just left the country. And I went away for four years. So it got to the point where I actually just felt so much like a misfit. I just left. Um, and that, you know, just been kicked out of college or whatever. Yeah. And, and I had no one that thought like me, felt like me. I'd never seen anyone that acted like me or until I found business owners. And I'm not even surprised for a second that the moment I found business owners, I latched onto them and I refused to stop speaking to them because I was like, oh my God, for the first time in my life, there is someone over there that tells me that they were like me and they were managed to achieve something and they did something. Um, so I, I'm not saying, by the way, to anyone said that what I'm doing is right. I have no idea if what I'm doing is going to work. I have no idea if I'm doing the right things to get to where I want to be. All I'm doing is giving it every single, every single opportunity, every single shot I could possibly think, anything yeah. I can think of to make, make it to that next, that next place, which I have in my mind's eye and no one else can see around me. Um, apart from a select few people that I trust with everything, so yeah. I know I'm rambling. I'm not, I know it's. I don't. I'm no, not it's really. Anything. I'm really enjoying it. It's. I find it, it just so interesting to. It, it literally, like... the, the, I re I rarely reflect on school, but the path for me fully started in school. It fully started when I was young, and and that was the point. And and it's quite it's quite sad to reflect upon, right? Because it's hard enough coming through the ranks and trying to learn how to be an adult and fit in as it is. Um, without all that extra stuff so i'm not surprised that most kids these days just do cop you know they all just do the same thing as each other right and they, and they don't they're they're afraid to step outside the normal and when they do they, they think they're weird uh, and that's when things like anxiety and depression things because they just don't fit in. so i'm not surprised that everyone just sort of what wants to be a part of the crowd I, you know i call it the black sheep theory the moment you start to step outside of the the societal norms you sort of are perceived to be a black sheep and the adage was it the old is it adage says they have the nail that sticks out gets hammered um you have to be prepared to take the hammer but a lot of kids can't do that because they, they haven't developed that capacity yet um i don't know if i'm just chatting absolute nonsense or no no it's not because <laughs> it hits at the heart of the stuff we're going to talk about now i know lewis and, and you're welcome to kind of stay on now lewis for as long yeah, as I'm you listen. want we're going to go through till about nine ish and um, I've got Andrew on, who's, and we're going to talk about this issue of exclusion in, in more detail um, from a kind of teaching and learning perspective. But honestly, mate, that was amazing just to hear your insights into your education, your story since. 
Um, so so feel free to stick around. Yeah, and if, you, and if you want to kind of interject at any point, and you know, you might have a question. You might say, "Well, what?" You know, ask whatever you want, um, and and maybe say whatever you want. Say your opinions as we go through. So, Andrew, are you are you there? Unmute yourself. Bottom left, mate. <laughs> Hopefully, should be a little blue icon. Andrew, maybe Andrew can't connect with us. But while Andrew does that, um, that was Lewis Ellis, by the way. Everyone in the space, if you want to see what uh, Lewis does, just I'm here now. Hello, good evening. <laughs> oh dear me. <laughs> good evening. Hello. <laughs> you okay? Yeah. No, I had it on laptop, and I couldn't find the microphone. Um, setting yes. so I've switched to phone, but yes. the laptop's still on, and the laptop seems to be a few seconds behind the phone, so it's, it was doing my head in. But yeah, you've got to join this thing on a phone, unfortunately, which is which fair is, enough. Uh, can be annoying. I will um, go and close the laptop before you hear me in double. Got it, brilliant. No, brilliant. it's still making noise even when it's closed. Good grief, I'll, it'll I'll just die uh, soon. Just throw it out the window. I'll, I'll just throw it out um, the window, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's what Lewis would do, and he'd film himself <laughs> doing it. And like a million people would see it on TikTok. It'd be great. Um, yeah, it's wanna, my work laptop, so possibly no, not no, the best. Don't do that then. Best but, um, yeah, don't do that. But um, Andrew, you're, uh, in case anyone doesn't know, you're uh, a math teacher, blogger, um, and a general kind of education thinker. And one of your one of your big things that you thought a lot about of late has been exclusions. So I want to get into this now with you. Because there is a big movement uh, within UK education, uh, particularly in the last few years, um, around no more exclusions, around ending exclusions, and also a narrative around exclusions increasing in how many exclusions are happening. There is, for example, the NEU have reported that exclusions have been going up. Now, I know that you've disputed that in your blog, so we'll come on to that soon. Um, but also there is this general movement that exclusion can be discriminatory. And also, I guess, there is a kickback against that from teachers and, and other people who feel disempowered, perhaps teachers who, who are being uh, assaulted or, or, or abused and stuff like that, who are saying students should be excluded, but they're not being excluded. So I wondered maybe just to start with, Andrew, whether you could maybe bring out your sort of key thinking on this issue of exclusion that's that's driven you to write four or five blogs on it fairly recently? Well, my starting point is I was a teacher in the noughties when there was a lot of pressure not to exclude. And I worked in a school in a local authority where they'd come in and said, um, don't ever exclude, keep them in at all costs. And that was when I was an NQT, I remember what it was like to live in a school where there was no, oh, sorry, to work in a school where there was no bottom line. And all that seemed to happen was behaviour got more and more extreme. And because the things that you'd expect would have children removed completely from a school just became suspensions, the things that would have been suspensions became just detentions. And the things that would have been detentions became, well, maybe just a telling off. 
And it got to the point where it was a struggle to teach, where you'd be reporting serious incidents every day. You'd be sworn at, kids would be spitting over balconies. And at the same time, there was this narrative of this is a very successful, inclusive school because, look, it doesn't exclude anybody. So I'm coming from that, that attempts to force schools not to exclude do harm, that at some level you need some level of discipline, you need some level of safety. Sorry, can you hear me okay? Yeah, 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 just listening. Carry on, if, unless you finish that. No, sorry, the screen changed, but no, I can still hear you. Excellent. So that's kind of my starting point. And um, uh, more recently, some of the pressure not to exclude got really removed. And I think from like 2007, some of, some of the talk of, of inclusion ended and then... In about 2012, there was less powers to appeal against exclusions, and it became a bit more normal. And then about they started to rise a bit. And when I say rise a bit, I mean this is still tiny. Exclusions, permanent exclusions are extremely rare. I mean, they rose to about one in a thousand pupils. So it's not something you'd you'd see very often. Um, you might, if you're big secondary school, you might see a couple in a year, or if you were in a particularly challenging environment. It wasn't common. But just rising to that point slowly over a few years caused this huge kickback, not from teachers, not from people in schools, not from kids, but from activists, people who work for charities, educationalists, pretty much everyone that did not have to deal with a classroom environment where, say, violence or abuse or racist bullying or guns, sorry, that's probably pushing it, but knives, drugs, people didn't have to deal with those issues and teach 30 kids at a time were yeah. weighing in, say, exclusions are disgraceful. And the narrative has not changed, even though you know, inevitably from all the lockdowns, exclusions have dropped. I mean, the last figures are 2021, and it's the lowest rate of exclusions on records. I don't think it's ever been as low. And you, you can still pick up a newspaper that will say exclusions are rising. Um, there hasn't been a big rise in exclusions for five years or so, but we, it's still the narrative we hear. Um, we're still hearing... All, I mean, it's an almost endless. Oh, is that me who's dropped or is that Andrew? No, it's Andrew. Andrew, you've dropped me. Don't know if your signals um, dodge. We just missed that last little bit, but I'll just pick on on what Andrew's saying while he's reconnecting, but. Essentially, Andrew's blogs and the ones that he's written fairly recently talk about how permanent exclusions um, have, in fact, gone down. Um, so there's a graph on one of them where it shows that since, I think, 2006, it's kind of steadily been dropping and dropping. I think Andrew's challenge to that, and I don't want to speak for him, was that, in fact, um, the narrative is that they're increasing, but the facts are they're decreasing. I don't want to speak for him. Andrew, I think you're back. Oh, was the last, you where, where did you hear me get to? What was the last thing I was saying? I kind of, we, we kind of only missed the last sort of 10 seconds of what you've just so, said. So we got, we got almost all of it apart. So, yeah, exclusions are at the lowest they've ever been and people are still complaining they're high. 
um, we get complaints that they're discriminatory and you look at the statistics, actually look at the current statistics and most of those complaints are just so out of date. I mean, it is, it is now the case that um, pretty much, well, ethnic minority students are far less likely to be excluded than white British students. And, and even where the, some of the groups where there was a historical gap, the gap has closed. Um, so, I mean, the claim of discrimination, it's, it's constantly made. I'm constantly being told black oh, people. I think you've dropped again. Andrew, are you near your, like, Ruther? Um, I hope it's not me. <laughs> is that any better? This. Maybe it's me. Is that better? Um, I don't know. Can you hear um, me? But, yeah, I think you've dropped again. Um, but I'll try and, I don't know if it's me. It might be my Wi-Fi. I, 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 can, actually, I, I can actually hear him then. Could you? It could be me, you know. It could be me. It's, it's probably uh, me because my phone wasn't ready and prepared. And it's an old No, thing. don't worry. It's probably me. I don't know. Can you hear me now? Um, but anyway, ca carry on. Say that. So basically, I think I heard that, that last bit, basically, that the, the, the crux of it was you were saying that exclusions have not, are not rising. They haven't risen. They're not going up. Um, I suppose my, my key question, though, is... I suppose the question of this show, Andrew, is exclusion, is it ever okay? So I suppose my question is, and I'm going to ask you both, actually, I'll ask you first, Andrew, and then I might come on to Lewis as well. Is excluding a student ever okay to do? My answer is obviously, oh, sorry. Sorry, you said Lewis, sorry, go ahead. No, no, Andrew, I wanted you first. I wanted oh, you okay. to first and then Lewis. Okay, um, yes, my answer is most definitely yes. And the, I can prove it in one news story. Um, there was a story in, in 2007, there was a court case where a school was sued. And they were sued over their failure to exclude. And there had been this pupil who had sexually assaulted a member of the cleaning staff and there'd been another incident as well outside of school and the school. And at that time, exclusion was really frowned upon and they did not exclude. And subsequently, there was a violent rape of a teacher in the school. And that teacher sued the school for not excluding. And the school obviously had, didn't have a leg to stand on and, and had to pay comp substantial compensation. And every time someone says, oh, you should never exclude, that will be the case I'd go to. Apart from the fact the court said quite clearly um, the school should have excluded. I also just think morally, how can anyone look at a case like that and say, oh, no, they were right not to exclude. So it, there must be somewhere you draw the line. That's the most extreme case. And it's just a question of where you draw the line. And I would say at one in a thousand pupils being excluded, even in a, a year with high exclusions, we're probably not erring on the side of um, excluding too many. And I mean, I know this is a silly, probably a silly question, Andrew, but do you think exclusions are actually too low? Do you actually think we need more exclusions? Um, I think it's arguable. I think there are schools that should exclude more. I think there are schools that aren't safe. I mean, ask, ask a supply teacher and they can usually tell you 
about the local schools where they were not safe. Yeah, because there'd be, there'd be many, though, who would say that, look, you know, it's up to the school to sort of, you know, you only have to, to look on Twitter or, or, or even just Google. And, and you can see huge kind of swathes and examples of t- teachers and, and individuals who would say it's up to the school to find a way to not exclude. It's up to the, the school to be inclusive. Do you sort of understand that argument in terms of they're the professionals and they need to find a way well, to facilitate education regardless? Te- I mean, teacher tap, ask school, ask teachers if they if thought schools permanently excluded too many pupils. And the overwhelming majority disagreed. I mean, it's, it's not very often teachers that say, no, no, I think we can put up with a bit more violence in the classroom, maybe a few more knives. It's usually people that do not work in the kind of schools that need to exclude. Um, so I, I don't think there are professionals to defer to that have a, a better perspective on this on teacher than teachers. And teachers overwhelmingly support the school's right to exclude. Yeah. Not least because we're the ones that have to live with the consequences when schools fail to exclude. Yeah. I mean, one of the key groups that's campaigning for zero exclusions is is no more exclusions. Right. Um, who are a, a group of, of I guess you call them a pressure group who who want a situation where exclusion is banned, is 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 basically banned. And as far as I can tell from their website, they, they are also saying that um, exclusion in itself is is inherently sort of. I mean, racist, basically, it's, 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 yeah, it's, um, there, there are elements to it that are around kind of white supremacy, there are elements to it that are, um, that are, that are, uh, that they even don't want, I, I think from what I read, they want to defund alternative provision, so they don't necessarily even want somewhere where the student can be sent, excluded to, to exist. Now, many people back this group, Andrew, many, many people and many groups and individuals back them. Um, I mean, can you not understand the impact an exclusion would have on a young person in terms of, okay, if we exclude them, that's sort of it that, you know, like they're out. It's a permanent exclusion. There's no way back. There's no sort of second chance. They're done. I can understand the impact, but I don't think they benefit from getting away with it. And I also think that we should look to the victim. Um, It's not good enough to say that if a perpetrator of a serious crime is a child, then just keep them where they are. Keep It's fine. I'm sure we can talk it out. And I mean... No more exclusions have been challenged again and again over the issue of sexual assault. And what would they do with children who commit sexual assault? And so far, they've done two long documents that have tried to answer that sort of question. And one of them has said a restorative conversation would be better for the victim of sexual assault than the perpetrator being moved to a different school. And another document just said, well, sexual assault is normal in school anyway. So, you know, what's exclusion got to do with it? 
we need to um, reform society, presumably some kind of revolution. It's difficult to work out what they mean in practice because they only oppose, they don't propose sensible solutions. I mean, they call themselves abolitionists, which I think is part of a movement that wants to abolish all prisons. I don't think their ideology is on... It is in any way possible to implement. I don't think it's in any way sensible. And I know that if you challenge them about these things on Twitter, they'll block you in a second, the number of teachers they've blocked, just for asking, but what about cases of sexual assault? Would you really keep the perpetrator in with the victim? And it's not that I want kids excluded and then thrown away, abandoned. They should be excluded and given more help, given the chance to change. But protecting the victim comes first. And it sets by excluding, you're setting that that line that others see they should not cross. And you're also making the student that has been excluded an obvious priority for that help and intervention. When schools are forced not to exclude, they don't put more help and intervention in place. They just start covering up the things that they should be excluding for. Do you think that, though, in certain instances, children are excluded for fidgeting or not engaging with things or, as people, I guess, some would term this disruption or low-level disruption or, you know, sort of things that they shouldn't be getting excluded for? Do you not think that kind of goes on? Uh, I, if we're talking permanent exclusions, I find it impossible to believe, partly because the number of exclusions is so low. When you look at things like the number of crimes reported to police that take place in schools or the number of teachers that say they've been assaulted or verbally abused, when you look at the number of serious incidents in schools, the number of actual permanent exclusions is tiny. So it's never made sense to me to think that it's little things that kids would need to be getting excluded for when there's so many serious things that it might be appropriate for. I think the myth that it's about low-level disruption is because there is a category in the exclusion figures called persistent disruptive behaviour. And people have decided to focus on the word disruptive rather than the word persistent. I mean, that is the category for the repeat offenders. And a lot of kids do get exclusions in that category. But it doesn't mean it's low-level disruption or trivial stuff. And we know better about that now anyway because they've just changed the way the uh, statistics are done. So it used to be the case you could only put one thing down for an exclusion. And when that was the case, then obviously the repeat offenders could only be put down for persistent disruptive behaviour. But now they can put up to three thick reasons down for an exclusion. And the result of that is you can see, well, there's only 4,000 exclusions, but the, nu the number of really serious incidents in the statistics is overwhelming. I mean, well, right, 4,000 exclusions, but almost 900 are for physical assault against a pupil. Um, there may be overlaps, obviously, it can be more than one thing, but there's um, 568 are physical assault against an adult, and most of the exclusions from primary schools are in that category. Also over 500 verbal abuse or threatening behaviour against an adult, over 500 use or threat of an offensive weapon, um, 400 that are drug and alcohol related, 
over 250 verbal abuse or threatening behavior against a pupil, 109 for damage. It, these are not small numbers of really serious incidents. These are, well, they are, I guess they're small numbers compared with the number of kids, but compared with the number of exclusions, this is big. Um, I don't think it is minor things. If you were, if you told schools not to exclude, those are going to be affected. You cannot bring down exclusion figures without tolerating things like assault, abuse, weapons, drugs. It's, it's just not going to happen. That's what. That's why exclusions are needed. That's the question that always needs to be answered. What would you do in those cases? Well, I'm going to, I don't know whether, Lewis, I don't know whether you've got any comments on anything you've heard us discussing in the last sort of um, 15 minutes or so. Yeah, just before I guys, ask, because I know, yeah, go on. Just, just listen to you guys speak. Obviously, if something's a crime, then it needs to be dealt with appropriately, right? That the majority yeah. of people I saw get excluded. Uh, physical assault's interesting because the amount of times that I had some little shitbag try and start fighting me and I would end it and I would get in trouble with detention or kicked out of school for it. When I never started it, so I do. I don't know if is is there a fair a fair way to judge who should be excluded. Is there a way that you guys can, uh, like almost like a court, right? You're guilty until proven uh, innocent until proven guilty. I don't know. But when it's a crime or something serious, then fair enough. I fully agree. They should be kicked out of school. But then the problem goes. Um, what what do you think that person is going to become like when they're older, right? So if they're that bad at a young age, it's probably because it's for their home life or their surroundings. You then put them in a surrounding where they're not with their own age. And with more of those people that were the negative impacts on them, I can't see them getting better. And um, so I'm just thinking, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm thinking, what is a better way of dealing with it? Kick them out, sure, get rid of them, get them out of your eyesight, um, and out of your classrooms because they're disrupting everyone else. But then I don't see them becoming um, fit members of society further down the line. In fact, I can see much worse things happening further down the line. That's um, a really interesting. That's a really interesting point, Andrew. And anything on what Lewis has said there, because that's a really strong point, isn't it? Um, what happens afterwards? I mean, absolutely. Um, but then part of the point of exclusion is that they then become the um, responsibility of the local authority who does ha should have specialist services in place, things that an ordinary school could not provide. I mean, it, it, honest, as I but, but, but literally no, no local authority that I can think of has anything like that. The police are the ones that deal with most mental health issues these days. And even those guys are underpaid, understaffed, and don't have the capacity to do that. So I was just thinking what happens to the young no, people. No, it's, it's an absolute legal obligation. They must provide the child with an education within six days, on the sixth day after the permanent exclusion. I mean, it's something that the local authority could be taken to court if they're not providing an education. And I, sometimes they will just put the child in a different school for a fresh start. Sometimes it will be a pupil referral unit, sometimes alternative provision. But the local authority has more options than a school's head teacher does and yeah. more resources available. I mean, it, it isn't about just writing students off. I mean, I think there's an argument when you look at the point of the view of the victims, the people who are, who are in danger from keeping a child in a school, that you have to get rid of them regardless, but it's not get rid of them and then abandon them. If, if anything, I think part of the problem with turning people on that path, and they're all, they're being violent in school. They're already on that path towards criminal, you know, they're already on the worst path. It's not, it's not something that's going to start after they were excluded. They're already on the worst path. But I think the effort to just keep them in school with a perpetual supply of victims 
is not going to is more likely to make it worse. Um, Andrew, I'm just going to interrupt you there because I'm going to come on to Christina now, who has been waiting uh, very patiently uh, for for a while. Christina, can you hear us? Okay, I can. Can you right, hear just me? Before, yes, just before you say your point. Um, I'm just going to give a shout out to a couple of things from Teachers Talk Radio's perspective. At the very top of this space, you can see two things. One, we're recruiting for hosts. If you're a teacher and you want to do what I'm doing but better, then please DM us and uh, get involved in that. And the second thing is obviously the sponsor of this show, which is Witherslack Group. You can actually sign up for their virtual neurodiversity conference. You're invited to it. You can click the link at the top of the space to sign up to that. Christina, over to you. Thank you. Um, in my experience, there is, I've never known a child to be excluded for persistent low-level disruption. That just doesn't happen. It's a, it's a myth. I, in my experience, schools will do absolutely anything that they possibly can to keep a child in school. Exclusion is the absolutely last result. And even then, we are responsible for those children and we, we, we have to make sure that they're getting an education. It's not the case of, oh, throw them out of the school and we'll never, ever remember them again. It's um, we are still responsible for those children. So as much as I have sympathy with people who are saying we should make allowances, people have issues, and yes, absolutely they do. But a school is a place of education. You come to school, you get educated. That That's what we do. And you have rules and you keep the rules and that's what keeps the community safe. And um, anybody who cannot exist within those rules or that boundary possibly needs alternative provision and it's the lack of alternative provision that is the problem not the way schools deal with problematic students in my I was going to ask you Christina I'll ask you because I asked Andrew earlier I, I said to him are there is there a case to say there's not enough uh exclusions happening and and his answer was yes in certain schools do you agree with him Absolutely. In certain schools, yes, because you, 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 have to, you have to be aware. If you exclude too many pupils, you are accountable for that. You have to be very, very careful. And there are probably, not in my school or my experience, but there are probably schools where students should have been excluded much sooner. Thank you. Andrew, I just want to come back to you briefly on that i don't know whether you've got any comment on what christina said um but also i wanted to pick on something you said earlier which was about the people who are campaigning i think you said something along the lines of the people who are campaigning for zero exclusions or bans on exclusions often aren't teachers or in the classroom can you expand a little bit more on that um it tends to be a very one-sided debate. So I tend to read things in articles in newspapers 
or see podcasts where, where there's been a panel discussion and every single person there thinks exclusions are the problem and the aim is to prevent them at all costs. Mm. And the reason you tend not to have many people arguing for more exclusions is because the people who are closest to it that make those decisions the most tend to be head teachers. And head teachers do not necessarily, well, firstly, they cannot discuss in public actual exclusions just because of confidentiality and child protection and the other part of it they don't necessarily want to associate themselves with being um, a high exclusion school so it tends to be the case that although when teacher tap polls secondary head teachers they're the group most in favor of permanent exclusion there aren't many people speaking out in favor of a school's right to exclude yeah. Um, I'm always seeing these one-sided debates. And instead, you tend to have sometimes um, people who are very ideological campaigners, sometimes people who believe that all children are basically innocent. And if they do something bad, you have to find out uh, uh, the reason and then treat the reason. And if we all did that, no child would ever do anything bad ever. Um, you get politicians who have all sorts of odd takes on it, often thinking they can solve other social problems with it. So thinking they can solve crime by um, keeping all dangerous young criminals in school. Um, presumably they're unaware that it's possible to commit crimes in a school. Um, I mean, it's the one case where I just wish people would say to politicians, are you really saying the best place for somebody with a child with a knife is in a room, is in a building full of children? Uh, any other circumstance, we'd be saying if they're dangerous, we want them somewhere where they can, others are kept safe and they are kept safe. Um, so I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of utopianism. People just believe the problem of um, the most extreme behaviour can just go away if we stop doing anything about it or if we just care a bit more. Do you think, I mean, do you think there's pressure, significant pressure now on schools to not exclude? And, do, I mean, I, I would say there is, but I wondered what you think. I mean, I'm genuinely hoping that since exclusion rates collapsed during the pandemic some of that pressure to reduce them further might have gone but there were clearly local authorities that are vocally calling for schools not to exclude even even after they've reduced already reduced to this low level and um, before the pandemic i did i did a quick twitter poll just asked school leaders if they've been under pressure not to permanently exclude and i got about 200 school leaders clicking the yes they're under pressure not to exclude mm. so i think that pressure is real and it exists i think it, it perhaps well i think in one, in one school i i worked in i won't obviously name the school but in one of the schools i worked in the 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 head teacher did tell me that that they were under significant pressure to not exclude regardless and and the intimation was that they needed to and they couldn't that that was the conversation that took place and um no sorry if you could say how long ago was that i wouldn't like to say um <laughs> andrew but it was it was in fairly you know um 
uh, yeah, in the last num- Fairly number recent, of years. Relatively recent. In, yes, in the last number of years, yes. This was not something that happened a decade ago. This was a relatively recent thing. And sort of, um, yeah, the, in, the, the, the in, intonation was that, yeah, that it, it, it couldn't happen for, for that reason. Anyway, Andrew, I'm going to bring some other people in because we've got loads of people patiently waiting. So I'm going to go through each one in turn and invite you to kind of make your point. And if you have a question for Andrew, if you have a question for Lewis, then 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 fire it in there. Um, uh, Sarah, what are your have you got a question for Andrew? Um, Sarah Johnson, or is there another thousand Sarahs in this group? It's just you. <laughs> I, it was more um it was more a comment really and i think it was in response to what lewis said and um it's pleased to meet you as well about the idea that there wasn't enough provision or support for children once they've been excluded now i remember um over 25 years ago now when my older brother was excluded um from school um and you're absolutely right, Lewis. At that point in time, there was no alternative provision or pupil referral units for children like my brother. Um, and he went to what was Borstal known at the time thereafter. I think since then, we've moved on dramatically in terms of what Andrew pointed out was a local authority's responsibility to provide what's called six-day provision so that children have to be provided with education. Now, Obviously, there's difficulties with that and challenges in lots of different ways. Um, so, for example, the CSJ, um, the Centre for Social Justice, a few years ago, um, wrote a piece around the cold spots of AP, where in some areas there were no good to outstanding alternative provision for children excluded from school. But the good news is those are few places. Most places in the UK do have provision for children that is registered um, there are pupil referral units um, that support children who are excluded from school. But the next step is to make sure that they are resourced appropriately with the specialised staff that's needed. Um, and Lewis sort of said, you know, for the most part, it's the police that help them. And I do think the police and social care and uh, child and adolescent mental health services and so on have a part to play in supporting those children. But the good news is alternative provision does exist across England to support those children. I just think we need to resource them appropriately. Andrew, any any thoughts on that? I mean, Sarah, I want to I wanted to ask you before you go. Exclusion. Is it ever OK? Um, yeah, so I mean, I would say yes. Um, I think we should make, um, and I kind of acknowledge what was said earlier by, um, we should make sure that we support children in the best way that we can to make sure they're included in school life, to support them, to make sure that our rules don't um, disadvantage children in lots of different ways. But I do think, you know, in the way that Jean-Luc Picard says, um, the line has to be drawn somewhere. And sometimes children's behaviour is unsafe. Now, again, the good news is, is that some of those issues are smaller than persistent disruptive behaviour. But there also needs to be a line drawn. How do we support those children with behaviour that is persistently disruptive to be included in school life? And for some, it might be that an alternative curriculum provision is needed. Some of those children might have underlying um, needs in terms of special needs and they should be catered for and so on but I think we've spoken before about this Tom I am not anti-exclusion but I do want to make sure that schools are the best prepared and best supported that when they do exclude 
is because they feel ultimately the line is drawn and they don't have any other choice. Um, and I acknowledge what another talker was saying, that generally speaking, head teachers take it incredibly seriously when they have to exclude mm. a child. Unfortunately, I also know that there's some who may, it may not be a fair or proportionate exclusion as well. That does exist as well, unfortunately. So we do need to make sure that things like the governance of those exclusions are robust and head teachers are held accountable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, exclusions, yes, they are OK. Um, I would really like it that I didn't have a job um, and I didn't have to be the president of Prusap. Um, in terms of the work that I do because I would want all children to kind of flourish in mainstream but I know for some children for lots of different reasons it's really difficult. Yeah um, Andrew do you want to say anything on that? Um, I mean the the general point of the crossover between SEND and special needs and exclusion it, it's something that often gets a bit blurred and back in the noughties, when there was all that pressure not to exclude, it was oh, it was common to put almost every badly behaved pupil on the SEN register. And mm. it's not necessarily wrong to do that, because being badly behaved is in its own way an educational need. But it's, we, we have to be very careful not to treat bad behaviour as a disability, because it's entirely possible yes. for children to behave badly without anything resembling a, a disability even if you think they have a persistent behavior problem but it's perhaps misleading to label that as a disability um, there has been a shift on this because as i say there used to be a category of sen of sen that was um for all behavior problems and that's been phased out and and so like, it used to be the case that most excluded children would be counted as SEND. now the majority aren't but it is the case that excluded children are more likely to be labeled SEND, and you hear that a lot as a re an argument against exclusions um but if you look at the figures it's it's a bit misleading because the overwhelming majority of excluded pupils that are labelled SEND are all in one category, um, social, emotional and mental health. And that is going to include things that are disabilities, things like ADHD and some and you know various mental health problems. It's also going to include um, pretty much any behaviour problem that someone wants to class as a special need. Um, I think when it comes to autism, that has become a, the ultimate red herring in this debate, um, because if you actually look at the figures, um, autistic uh, pupils that are on the SEND register for autism, for ASD, um, they're marginally more likely to be excluded than the average pupil. But once you take gender into account and the fact that boys are more likely to be excluded than girls and or pupils identified with ASD are more likely to be boys, they're actually at lower risk of exclusion. Um, so I'm, I'm always, you know, keen to point out that it, we're not excluding loads of kids with ASD. We are excluding kids that are on the SEND register. Well, we're mainly excluding kids that aren't on the SEND register. And those that are on the SEND, SEND register, it's that SEMH category which perhaps should be broken down to address, you know, the different issues involved. Um, but when you have that as your category and you're pretty much putting kids in there because of the behaviour, 
you you can't then turn it back and say the behaviour is because of the special need when you know the special need is, is something that they've been labelled with because of the behaviour. Now, it would be a great idea if, you know, even regard, regardless of that, you could cure bad behaviour through therapeutic methods. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for that. There are therapies that improve behaviour. There are behaviour interventions based on mental health that do some good. But I know, I know when people have done meta-analysis of behaviour interventions, there's lots of therapeutic interventions that don't do any good and some that actually make behaviour worse. There's, there's no obvious gain from treating all bad behaviour as mental illness or disability. Um, and often I think people are very keen to throw the label in to complicate matters, to obstruct exclusion, or even as an excuse. Mm. That's a really, you know, I, 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 I mean, Sarah, I don't know what you think about that. I think Andrew's made a really powerful and interesting point there, but I wondered what you thought. Um, so my argument would be, I think, kind of generically, is that the um, the definitions of social, emotional, mental health, communication, interaction, physical and sensory and so on are very blurred and not necessarily particularly obvious. So, for example, um, we know that um, adults, for example, and uh, children in the youth offending system have uh, often have specific difficulties pertaining to speech and language needs. But often they might be defined as having um, social, emotional, mental health needs because that's how it's expressed. So I think for me, the key would be is how do we find out what is going on for this child um, underneath all of it in terms of that early intervention? And I think but maybe often... but maybe all, all I'm saying is maybe sometimes you can't. No, it's out. really, really difficult because I think um, humans want to kind of categorise and label. And I think human behaviour is so much more complex than that anyway, so that actually trying to define it as it being social and emotional mental health versus um, social and communication, for example, the lines are incredibly blurred and it's very, very difficult. And it's often how children might express what their um their difficulties and challenges are. Well, there's I a. What... I suppose what I'm what I'm getting at there is I don't know if you heard the bit with Lewis earlier. I'm not sure you did, but Lewis was on earlier, and he was talking about how he was basically excluded from his his college because he was kind of like disengaged from yeah. the learning. Right? He didn't have. Um, I mean, he also said that he had ADHD, but he was but he was disengaged. His his key reason, if you like, for kind of his his um the behavior that he, he he showed was like disengagement from from education which which isn't like it wouldn't be on the send register you know what i mean like that's well i mean obviously again it depends and if it's an exclusion from college that's a different kind of remit well, yeah yeah anyway no, um <laughs> but i'm saying there's kids there's children like him out there in secondary school you know but also there's i mean i don't disagree with um andrew uh, and i hope i'm not putting words in his mouth as well is that not all children's behavior um outwardly is because they've had traumatic experiences or anything like that i think you know it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes children want to be silly um they are often more engaged in risk-taking behavior um all different things because of their kind of stage of development and so on and i think as adults we kind of make sure that we maintain boundaries we're consistent 
consistent, but we also need to be aware that children might find things more difficult for lots of reasons and how do we support those children? So the children on the margins for lots of different reasons. But sometimes children want to do things that are silly because it's fun as well. And I think we need to kind of acknowledge that. Um, And I do find it sometimes problematic when um, I don't have an issue with trauma-informed approaches at all. So let me be clear about that. But not every child's behaviour pertains to trauma. And PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is a very particular disorder that children may have and adults as well. And we have to be careful that we don't over-pathologise behaviour. And sometimes, you know, just like being late or uh, not doing X, Y, Z might not be because of an underlying special educational need, but because Mm. also kids are kids and humans are humans. And sometimes we want to do things that are not necessarily uh, what others might want us to do. Andrew, any any thoughts on that? We're gonna we've only got a couple of minutes left now, everyone. So, um, uh, Yasmin and Miss C, massive apologies for me. I'll have to do like a part two or something on this because um, uh, we're running out of time. But go on, Andrew. I was just going to say that um, other than ASD, which the role in exclusions is exaggerated, the other one is speech, language, and communication difficulties that children that have identified. Uh, in that category are consistently less likely to be excluded than the average child and and despite that there is you know this uh, often an assumption that's a key issue in leading to exclusions of course after kids have been excluded or or when they're doing research on young offenders that you get a lot of screening you got and you get you know massively high rates just by the nature of screening a very atypical population but in terms of are the kids that are identified with these conditions more likely to be excluded i think the 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 popular wisdom that it's asd speech language and communication that are risk factors it isn't it isn't true i mean it really is that category of semh and there's a few others that have a marginal make a marginal difference yeah Sarah, do you, I mean, that kind of relates to the point you made. Yeah, no, it just um, just because I didn't know that in terms of speech and language, it'd be great, Andrew, if you could ping me over some data pertaining to that, just so I can have a little, um, search, like have a little read up, that'd be really helpful. It's the thing most hidden on the exclusions website. It's like you have to download an extra spreadsheet. And yeah, and I've got thousands of children, so if you could help me out, Andrew, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you have it. <laughs> Thank you okay folks listen unfortunately we have run out of time i want to thank andrew i want to thank you massively for coming on lewis for sticking Uh, with me and us for a full-on hour and a half there um really really enjoyed it gents absolutely fantastic um learned a lot uh, engaged a lot and i'm thinking actually I don't know whether we could maybe do a part two, Andrew and Lewis, at some point, because it was really interesting. I appreciate you uh, having us on. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's yeah. class, mate. Thank yeah. you. I'd certainly be up for a second engagement. And, um, yeah, yeah, thank you for having I, us. I just think there's, too much, I think there's too much to get through in one sort of <laughs> sitting on this, because it, it just kind of it involves so much like it's not just about exclusion it's about the shape of education it's about curriculum it's about um yeah there's just so much to cover on it so definitely we'll have a round two thanks so much everyone for for tuning in as well we've had so many people engaging 
messaging in, uh, calling in. Sorry to people who've called in that hadn't had a chance to speak. Next time, we'll make sure that you're kind of first in line to, to say your piece. So thanks, everyone. And uh, I'll be back next Monday. See you later. <laughs>